invite you now to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. I ask you to join with me in a word of prayer. Father, now we come in our worship service to continue worshiping you and to do so by looking at your word in a bit more detail. Father, I pray that you would help me as I seek to teach your people, that you would accompany the preaching of your word, and that you would Use your word to transform and to equip your church, your saints, your servants, that they may be strengthened for the battle that is ahead of each of us, that they may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, that they may be able to discern your will from your word and rightly understand it, that they may be encouraged as they look to the future and are reminded of your good promises to them that you will redeem each and every one that your son has paid the price for, that the Lord Jesus, that you are coming back again to take us home. May they be encouraged by that. May they be reminded of their weakness and your strength, that you are upholding each and every one of us. And so we know that your word does all of these things for your children and more. And so we pray you would accompany it by your spirit, apply it as you see fit for the glory of your name and the good of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we <clears throat> were looking at John and we were considering Jesus's a sobering comment to his disciples. One of them was, the comment was that Judas, one of them, the twelve, would betray him. Their faith would be shaken by this because they had, after all, placed their hope in Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus who was among them and with them, was supposed to deliver his people. But here Jesus is telling them that he is the one who is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And so you can see the disciples as they're looking at Jesus and they're hearing Jesus, who they spent three years with. I mean, that's a long time. Every day, and it, it's not like you and you may have been at this church for three years, but how often do we actually see each other? Maybe on Sundays and maybe occasionally throughout the week. That's not how it worked. It's not like Jesus was with them and he then left for the weekdays to do his thing and then came back and spent with them. No, they had a, a full-on three years walking and talking and learning they had a very deep relationship and a deep hope, and you can almost see it in their minds. How can this be? If this Jesus who we've been with, who could calm the seas and heal the sick and raise the dead and feed people out of nothing, if, if this Jesus who we've seen demonstrate power and authority over all of this and such wisdom, 
if he can be betrayed by a man and put to death by men, what about our hope of deliverance? How can a Messiah who is duped by one of his own disciples, so they thought, how can this kind of Messiah deliver us if the world has victory over him and puts him to death. And so Jesus, knowing their anxious hearts, he encourages them not to lose heart. And he reminds them that what is about to happen to him is not by mistake. And it's not by his own weakness. And it's not because of his inability to save. He reminds them that this, what is about to happen, is necessary and it is perfectly in accordance with God's word. It's a necessary event that God permits to happen so that he might ultimately be glorified by it and his people saved. Jesus must be betrayed, he must be crucified in order to fulfill God's redemptive plan and so that Jesus can be exalted and his kingdom established and then his people, you and me, redeemed. This act of divine love is what is going to unite all of God's people together and redeem them. And so the disciples don't realize it, but a very short time from now, Jesus is not only going to be betrayed, but he's going to be arrested, he's going to be put on trial, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be spit on, he's going to be flogged, he's going to be lifted up on a cross to die, his hands are going to be nailed to the cross, his feet are going to be nailed to the cross, he's going to be lifted up naked on the cross, and he's going to do that as a result of this betrayal is going to lead to his ultimate death. But at the end of it all, Jesus is not overcome by darkness and he's not overcome by the world. And the world has no victory because who ultimately has the victory? Christ ultimately has the victory because Christ rises again from the dead. And then he is not only risen again bodily from the grave, but he is exalted back up to the right hand of the Father. And so they don't see that and know that yet, but what Jesus tells them here as he encourages them, ultimately they will remain together and, and see the risen Lord. And so that's where we ended last week in John 13, 35. And then we're picking up now mid-conversation in verse 36. And so this is still part of the same farewell address of Jesus to his true disciples that began in verse 31 after Judas left. And so clearly Peter and the others, they didn't understand all that I just went through. They didn't understand all of it. And they were still more nervous about Jesus' departure than they were in his teaching on love and obedience to his commandment. And so you see this actually as, as we'll go through chapter 13. You'll, you'll, we're not going to go through the whole thing here, but you actually see like 
a series of questions that take place here. You, you see the first one, and we'll look at this today, is Peter then has a question for Jesus. Then Tom in 13, verse 36, and Thomas has a follow-up question in chapter 14, verse 5. Then Peter has this request slash question in verse 8. Then Judas, not Iscarius, has a question in chapter 4, verse 14, verse 22. And so they're still trying to process all of this, and they're going to ask Jesus some additional questions because they're still not settled with the fact of what is about to take place, and he's going to be betrayed. They're still uncomfortable by it. And so each question provides an opportunity for Jesus to strengthen them and their faith and to prepare them for what's to come. And so this morning, we're looking at the first two questions, the one from Peter and the one from Thomas, and we will look at the Lord's response to each of their questions. And so we pick up here in verse 36 of John 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Peter asks a question that probably all of them were thinking. You and I take it for granted that we know where Jesus went because we've heard the gospel and believed it. But they didn't know. And Peter He's like usual, we've said this before, he speaks up. And Jesus, in verse 33 of chapter 13, told them, I'm going away. And he's troubled by this, Peter. And he says, Lord, where are you going? You're leaving us? Lord, I want to know, where is it you're going? And so Jesus responds to him, and he, he kind of gives him a word of comfort here. He, he tells Peter, where I'm going, you cannot follow. So where Jesus was headed, he was headed to the cross, he was headed to die, he was going to go back to the glory, back to the right hand of God the Father. And he actually tells Peter, where I'm going, you, you cannot follow. Now, if that is all that Jesus said, 
to us, to his disciples, that'd be a pretty sad ending, wouldn't it? I'm here three years. You've seen me. I've showed you my glory and my power. And sorry, Peter, where I'm going, you can't come. End of story. That's not how the gospel ends, right? The gospel is, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. And the reason is, is because Jesus is ultimately going to the cross and he's going to bear the sins of the world and the wrath of God. And he's going to go back to his father. But he tells Peter, and he tells you and me, you will follow afterward. He is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul talks about in Corinthians, right? Jesus died and he was buried and he bodily resurrected again and he went back to God, the Father's right hand, right hand, and he says to us that though you may be here now and I am not in your presence, you will follow me afterward. And that is such a word of comfort He reassures Peter, he reassures the disciples that though he is going away, they will follow their Lord into glory. And I thought about that, thought about our world, and in one sense, you look at the world, and we mention this often, but the world is falling apart. It's cratering. It's falling in on itself. Corruption is growing. Ungodliness is rampant. The more that you look at the world, the more that you watch the news, I hope what lands on your hearts and minds, I hope that it's not a overwhelming discouragement for you. I hope that when you look at the politics of our country and you see the fighting and the backbiting and you see the wickedness and the perversion and the theft and the dishonesty. I hope when you look at it that your final thought isn't full of discouragement and anxiety. And the reason is because this is not your home. What do you expect to happen in the world? What is to be expected of nations and kings and leaders and so on? It is not to be expected that they will rise up and be good citizens that love and serve everyone perfectly. We would pray and hope that that would be the case, but that's not promised by God. And so we should look at the world that we're living in and realize this is not my home. My home is with Jesus. He said that where he's going, you cannot come now, but you know what? You will follow. And we will be with Jesus where he is. And that is in the presence of the Father back in heaven in paradise. Now, I can't even imagine what that looks like. We've been preparing for our trips and been looking at islands in Greece. Beautiful islands. Santorini Island. Wow, with blue waters and beautiful ocean and waves and sun. You think it's so gorgeous there. Wow, I can't wait to get there. And the fact is, is it is nothing compared, not even Maui, Morris. I know you love Maui. Not even Maui. It's nothing compared to paradise 
with, with where the Lord Jesus is. And this is why I love, and we read about it, uh, we sang about it in one of our hymns, the, the Dying Thief. Do you remember when the thief is dying, one is mocking Jesus and the other one kind of rebukes him and, and he says kind of in repentantly that he's, he has done nothing wrong. And Jesus says to him what? Today you will be with me in paradise. And so when Jesus died on the cross, his body went to the presence of the Father waiting to be reunited to his body after three days. He'd be reunited with his body and then bodily resurrect. But as soon as Jesus died and he said, it is finished, he went immediately into, into, into paradise. He went immediately into heaven, and he brought with him that thief on the cross too, which is pretty awesome to think, right? Because that day when that thief, whenever he died, that thief went to heaven. And we get to meet him one day, which will be pretty awesome too, to just meet all the people God has saved. But anyway, that's how we are to think about this, this world and what our hope is. And, and this is why you, you can see that Peter, he doesn't quite get it here, but he ultimately ends up taking it to heart, as all the disciples do. He learns from it. And it, I especially see this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 6 to 10, as as. Peter is writing to suffering Christians. These words to me always, always encourage my heart, and it was meant to, but I, I always go back to these verses, and even when I'm counseling someone that's going through trials, I always remind them of what Peter said here, because Peter suffered, they all suffered when the Lord left, but here's what Peter says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, and after you have suffered a little while, just a little while, in the scope of eternity, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know I, why I think Peter can say this with just such clarity and and conviction besides having the Holy Spirit is, I think, partly because what happens here in chapter 13. Because Peter, they never quite grasped what the Lord and the resurrection, what Jesus had told them about the resurrection. And so here Peter says to him again, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And he says, I will lay down my life for you. So Jesus gives him the word, and it's an interesting statement here that Peter says, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. You see, in Peter's, in Peter's mind, in Peter's world, 
There is a self-confidence and a self-reliance, a, a pride that goes before the fall, so to speak. And Peter hadn't yet learned that what the Lord says is true will come to pass, and he is to humbly, like he says in 1 Peter, submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And Peter hadn't yet learned that. And so Peter here, when he hears the word of the Lord, he tells the Lord that he will lay down his life for Jesus. I guess, do you think that that seed is in you? Do you think the seed of Peter's thought here when he says to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my, my life for you. I think it is in each of us in the sense that if we're honest, we all are more self-reliant and confident than we ought to be. I think there's a sense in which we don't really truly recognize our, our own weakness. We, we think of ourselves with far too much pride, I think. We think of ourselves as more holy, I think, than we ought to. And, and we probably are prone to look at others what, with kind of a contempt when they fall into a temptation that we haven't. And we think when someone falls, we think, oh boy, you know, I would never have done that. I would never have fallen into that temptation. How could they do A, B, and C? And so we kind of pity those who have fallen as if we have the strength within ourselves to overcome that temptation. And, and I think there's a sense in which this is this is abiding in Peter's heart. It's, it's, not, it's, it's a weakness in his faith. And I, and I think if we're honest, we have to remember that we too have that struggle. We, we are, especially in America, where the independent mindset, right? We're, in, we're independents. We have no king over us. And we are, we are sovereign over our lives. And we have this mindset that we are trailblazers and we're freedom and no one is over us. And we have an independence and it's good in a country. But sometimes I think that incorporates into our Christian walk. And we start to think that this Christian walk is about me and Jesus alone. And I'm going to do what I can and be as strong as I can to follow Jesus and I'll even lay down my life for Jesus. Will you? When it comes down, push comes to shove, and Satan seeks to sift you, he wants to, uh, he wants to challenge you, and God permits him to challenge you, and your faith is going to be sifted, will you prevail? When, when, when they come to your door to take away your livelihood and take away your bank accounts and take away your security, when, when trials and tribulations rise to that level, will you stand for Christ? Do you think you have the strength to do it? 
Do you think that you have the motivation that within you, like Peter, very strong, very self-reliant, Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I want to follow you so much. I want to be with you so much that, you know what, Jesus, I'm even willing to lay down my life for you, Jesus. I'm willing to give it all. I don't care. They can take everything away from me, but I'm going to lay down my life for Jesus. I'm going to follow him wherever he wants to go. And, and boy, oh boy, there is a sense in which you, you want to say, yes, Peter. And we want to say that about ourselves. And we want to think that we would do it and especially in your youth, you that are younger, younger in the faith, younger in age, you feel vibrant, you feel strong, you feel like you've got the future ahead of you, and there's a sense in which you think you can take on the world. And you're going to go into the world, and you're going to live for Jesus, and you're going to be faithful to Jesus, and you're going to go to college, and you're going to, be, you're going to stand up against your professors. You're going to stand up against the other students. You're going to stand for Jesus, and you're going to be strong, and you think, boy, I'm going to get it done, and I'm going to be faithful. And then, will you be? I don't know, lots of people go out to college and one by one, they're falling. They're falling by the wayside. That strength and vigor that they thought they had ends up disappearing. And then the question is, why? What, what happened to all that strength and vigor that you had, Peter? What happened to Peter? Why did you ultimately do what Jesus then told him he would do when Peter says, I will lay down my life for you? And Jesus has to lovingly correct him. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I, I understand your love for me. That's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Peter loves Jesus. Peter wants to be with Jesus. Peter wants to go with Jesus wherever he's going, and that's to be admired, that passion, that zeal, that kind of that strength of, of faith that desires Jesus. It should be mimicked by us, and, it, and it, it should be something that we have that desire to do as well. But ultimately, that desire needs to be curbed with humility and wisdom, and, and this is where sanctification comes in. Much of us are very passionate, we, especially in our youth. We, we have all this energy and zeal, but we haven't quite learned humility. And we haven't quite learned the humility of the Spirit to, to come under Jesus enough. And I think this is where Peter is, extremely passionate, but just lacks a little bit of wisdom. And so how do you get that wisdom to then be able to write what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5 afterward, well, I think as Jesus corrects them and corrects Jesus, 
I mean, Jesus corrects Peter. Jesus is basically saying, you're not going to lay down your life for me in the way I'm laying down my life for you. He says, in fact, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. Now, for Peter to hear that was sobering. It must have struck at his heart because Judas, he didn't know yet, but one of them were going to betray Jesus. For all he knew, Jesus was talking about him. And so Jesus then doesn't leave them there with that correction. Instead, he now wants to build them up and strengthen them and and give him the wisdom that he's going to need. Don't lean on your pride. Don't lean on your strength, Peter. You need to lean on me. And this is where Jesus goes there when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. He's saying, even though you're going to fail me, don't let your hearts be anxious or troubled about my departure or your lack of understanding or even your coming failures. Even you, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to fail. Don't let your hearts be troubled. But he says, here's the answer, believe in God believe also in me. Believe in God, believe also in me. When it comes down to it, when it comes down to your faith being challenged, the one place that you come to as the foundation and your rock and your strength is you come down into God's word. You come back to Jesus You come back to remembering the cross, remembering his promises, remembering his authority, remembering his mighty works of old. Read the Old Testament and see how God redeemed Israel from Egypt. Read the Old Testament and see how God blessed Abraham and his seed. Read the Old Testament and see how God delivered Israel through Joseph, who was taken into Egypt. Then he brought them out. Read the scriptures and see how God helped King David and gave him victory. I mean, this is what the Old Testament is doing. It's remember God's victories. Remember God's power. Believe in God. Trust God and his word. And so now we look back at all of those promises, but ultimately we look back to Jesus saying, believe in God, believe also in me, because what you're going to see is the greatest work of redemption that has ever been seen on the face of the earth and will ever be seen since. And Jesus says, believe in me. Look back at the cross, look back at my work of redemption and believe in me. Be steadfast and grounded. That's what Peter was going to need. That's what they all were going to need. Because if they looked to themselves, what would have happened? They would have fallen. If you look to yourself and your own strength, you will fall. If you think you are wise, In your own mind, you will fall. You will not run the race of faith and make it into heaven. 
Because there's only one that can bring you into the presence of God and give you victory, and that's Christ. If you want to live like the world and you want to look like and lean on your own strength and your own wisdom and your own understanding, you know what? If that's what you want to do, then you will look like the world. And you may have a good life in this life for a season, but at the end of the day, when your race is done, if your eyes are not fixed on Jesus and his work, you will not, you will not see heaven. Don't lean on yourselves, beloved. Don't let us not lean on our own strength. But let us see Christ. Believe in God, Jesus says. Believe also in me. And then he actually tells us here, and he tells them, that not only is he putting himself there as the one to be trusted in, but he, he actually says, it may not seem like it now, but it's, it's to your advantage. How about that? It is to our advantage that Jesus went back to heaven. How? Well, he says this, three reasons. First, he tells them, basically, he's like, listen, I'm going ahead of you, and here's why Jesus is going ahead of you. Jesus goes ahead to prepare a place for you. Jesus says, to them, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? When Jesus went to the cross and he died and he was betrayed and crucified, he did that to prepare a place for us in heaven. Not to prepare your own individual house. Heaven is God's house, all of heaven. He's not going up there. Jesus didn't die and go up there and then start building a house for you. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying Jesus died, crucified, buried, risen again. He gets to the right hand of the Father, and then he says, okay, let me get to work and start building a house for each of my kids. That, that's not what he means. What he's saying is, I go to prepare a place for you. He's saying, when I'm going... Me going to the cross and going to be risen again, that is the preparation for you to come into my Father's house. That is the preparation. In other words, Jesus, like we're saying, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Jesus did all of it. He prepared a place for us at the right hand of the Father, not at the right hand of the Father, excuse me. He prepared a place for us in heaven, as he is at the right hand of the Father, that we might be with him where he is. He did that through the cross, and he tells them that, remember that. I went to the cross and was betrayed so that you might have a place in glory. Ample provision. Secondly, he tells them, I go ahead of you, and this is important, that you might be with me. Why is, why is that important? He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Why is it important that Jesus says, not only is he gone to prepare a place for us by his 
death and crucifixion and resurrection and exaltation brings us there. But he says, if I go there for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. So it's, it's not just a preparation of a place, but it's a certainty that you will be there with him. He's coming back. He's coming back for his children. Your bodies will be resurrected again. And they will be reunited with your soul and you will be resurrected up into glory to be with him where he is. It's a guarantee for his children. It's not I prepare a place and now it's up to you. It's a, I prepared a place and I will come and he's telling them I will take you to be with me where I am. Why else would I go to prepare a place for you? That's what he's saying. Why else would I do all of this if I wasn't going to come back and take you? See how comforting that is? That's for us. The same promise here is for us that Jesus has not left us. He's gone before us. He's prepared a way for us. And he tells us, whatever happens in the world, don't be distraught the fact that I'm not with you because I am coming back for you. Not to mention, he's going to say later in this chapter, which we'll see, he gives the Holy Spirit. But at this point, he's saying, I will come again with you. And then he says to them, and you know the way to where I'm going. In other words, he's saying, you have all the knowledge that you need about me. You know the way to where I'm going. And what is the way to where Jesus is going? Jesus. He's saying, you know the way because you know me. You know the way to glory because you know me. And Thomas, of course, doesn't get it. And he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Poor Thomas. Gets a bad rap in the scripture, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. But he, he had good questions. I mean, he was processing it. He's wondering it, even though he doesn't get it. And yes, he doubts and he wants to feel the, the piercings and so on. But here, Thomas, he doesn't quite get it. I think it's an unfortunate name, though, Doubting Thomas. I don't think that's really nice. I, I, don't th I think many of us would have struggled in that way, too. But in any case, here's Thomas. And he, he, it's almost like I think he's saying, well, Jesus, you, Lord, you didn't really answer Peter's question. He asked, Lord, where are you going? And you told him you couldn't follow, but... We, we still don't know where you're going, but you know what, Jesus? Lord, if you would tell us where you're going, then we might be able to know the way to get there. Do you, do you see it? Like kind of, that's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. We still don't know where you're going. You haven't answered, answered it, but you know what? How can, we, how can we know the way if you don't tell us where you're going? And I think the implication kind of underlying that question is if you would tell us where you're going, then we would know how to get there. And so now imagine if Jesus told them, I'm going into glory. And he didn't say afterward you will follow, but he said, and you know what? I'm going back to the right hand of the Father. And he, he just kind of left it at that. And then they said, well, how do we, how do we, 
get there then, Jesus, to the, they might have thought, you know what, we can do A, B, and C, and D in order to get there ourselves. Like maybe, maybe, maybe that's how some of you think, I don't know. You think, where's God, where's Jesus? He's back at the right hand of the Father. Well, you know what, how do I get there then to where he is? And you might think of different things to do. You might think doing good works and coming to church all the time and singing and reading your Bible and praying and giving to the poor and helping the sick, right? You might have a whole bunch of list of things as how do I get to where Jesus is? He went back to glory. That's good. Now what do I do in order to get there? That's how some people think about Christianity, right? Jesus is in heaven. I want to be with Jesus, so I'm going to do everything Jesus tells me to do so that ultimately I can get to heaven. And Jesus says, no, that's not it. He tells Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says to him, because remember, the way is kind of the controlling word here. When Jesus says, I am the way, Jesus is answering Thomas's question. How can we know the way to heaven? Jesus says, I am the way. Therefore, I'm also the truth and the life. All truth comes through Jesus. All life comes through Jesus. Truth and life together means that you have found the way into glory. There is no other path that leads to heaven. There's no other way. All roads don't lead to heaven. It's just not true. All roads do not lead to the right hand of the Father. The only road that leads to, 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 the, to, to the Father, to heaven, is Jesus Christ and him alone. This is why he says to, to, to Thomas, if you had known me, you would know my Father also. Then he says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, he's like, Thomas, I've been with you. Wake up. I am who I said I am, and I have come to redeem you. And so you can just see the comfort that he gives to them here, here and how much he loves them. Even in the midst of Peter's coming failure, he still wants them to take heart and to believe in him and to trust him. And so if that's the message that we should take home this morning, beloved, it's that Christ has been risen and he is not physically here with us, but he is here by his spirit, which we'll see later in the chapter. But he has not left us. And so let us set our hearts and our minds, believe in him, trust him. He's gone to prepare a place for us, and he'll come back and take us home. Is that good news? It's good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for the enduring nature of it, for the truthfulness of it, for your faithfulness to carry it out. We know, Lord, that we need to draw strength from you and your promises and that we are to believe in you, place our faith in you and our trust in you and not in the things of this world. 
Lord, if we should look at the things of this world and place our faith in them, we know that they will fail. That it is a hope that's built on shifting sand. The things of this world will crumble. They will disappear. They are things that are made of the dust, and to dust they will return. Uh, There is no rock in this world that we can build our hope on other than you. You are not even of this world. You are of glory and of heaven, and you are a rock that will never be chipped. It will never spoil. It will never crumble. Uh, Your word is the rock on which we stand, and so we believe you, Lord Jesus, and we trust you. We pray that you would keep us from from pride. We pray that you would keep us from trusting in ourselves and leaning on our own strength. We pray for the youth in our church as they grow up and grow in their walk with you, that they would learn to lean into you and to rest on you more and more. That as they go through trials, they would not be tempted to leave you and tempted to lean on on other truths and promises that are offered to them in the world, that they would not find their satisfaction in anyone or anything but you. Keep us all from pride. Help us to be humble. Help us to come under your mighty hand willingly and thankfully and with a trusting heart. Help us, O God, and sustain us, we pray, for that which is to come. We pray, O God, for anyone here who does not yet know you as their Redeemer and Savior. We pray, O God, that their eyes would be open to their sin and their need for forgiveness. We pray, O God, that you would bring your word and the Holy Spirit to bear upon their hearts that they might see that there is only one way of salvation. There is only one name given among men by which we must be saved, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. May you do your work of redemption even in this place this morning. Lord, we we love you and we thank you for loving us and for coming back to receive us. There is part of our hearts, O God, that cry out, O Lord Jesus, come back soon. Come back soon, Lord Jesus. We look so forward to being with you and to being in your presence, in your resurrected presence forever. We look so forward to that home, that house that you have prepared for us by your cross and resurrection that we can come into your presence. We know, Lord, that in your wisdom you are waiting and you are working and and you are saving people and we are thankful for that work of redemption and and the mission you've called us to. And so we don't want you to rush, obviously, in your timing, Father, but At the same time, our souls grow weary and we grow tired and uh, we trust you. And we can ask, Lord Jesus, come quickly and we know that you will come in your good timing. So thank you. We pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.